0: I am with Mike Conrad, podcaster, industry guru and founder of Aqueous Technologies. Mike, thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking part in the recent What's the Scoop, talking about your 2022 trends. Let's just dig straight in there. You talked about chip shortages. So many people did or shortages, what the press refers to as chip shortages, but they go way beyond chips. Talk me a little bit about your your own experience with the um, supply chain challenges we're seeing.
1: Yeah, we, you're right. The, the press calls it a chip shortage, but it's, uh, it's, it's everything from computer chips to probably chips that you eat, you know, it's everything. Mm. Um, And uh, we've not, you know, in our business we're assemblers of equipment, so we don't buy chips uh, although Mm. we buy things with chips on it. uh, So that gets impacted. Uh, But even things like solenoids and motors Mm. are of short supply. And, and, fortunately we've been very blessed we haven't we haven't had to restrict shipments uh, we haven't had any delayed shipments but yeah. we've taken a lot of extra energy and cash flow and thrown it into the transition from just in time to just in case which means we probably like most other manufacturers are all part of the problem we're hmm. exacerbating the problem by by uh, stocking up on inventory, we've all become hoarders, you know, yeah. Yeah. and, you know, my purchasing team, uh, they they will if they, if we normally buy three parts at a time, uh, if we have the opportunity to buy 30 parts at a time, or 130 parts at a time, we'll do it because there's, you know, uh, it's like going to Costco, uh, I think you have Costco's in Australia, right? And yeah, you if you see it, and you like it? Buy it because it won't be there tomorrow, right? They, yeah. they do a lot of one-time purchases, and it just seems like everything lately is a one-time purchase. It's an opportunity, so yeah. we fortunately, um, again, very blessed that we had, you know, the, the cash means to do it. Um, but our shelves are are bursting uh, yeah. with parts that we use, and yeah. you know, not only do we have to ship machines uh, to keep our our commitments, we have to support machines to keep our mm-hmm. commitments. So we have to have at any given time, extra parts over and above our manufacturing needs. So it's been a challenge. It's been a logistical challenge um, in uh, procuring the parts. In a couple of cases, maybe a few cases, we've had to do some minor design changes uh, to uh, bring in part B instead of part A. Mm. Um, You know, it meets the specs, but it doesn't quite fit. So, uh, and that brings challenges because we have to document all that so that Ten years from now, when when a machine comes up for service, we don't look at it and go, "What's this?" You know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So, yeah, it's been challenging. It's just a lot of extra energy spent. Yeah, and yeah, it spent. is
0: a lot of extra work for everybody, isn't it? And it is. you know, it's it, it's interesting. I want to dig in on a few of those things. First of all, it's been the biggest supply chain disruption, most of us have seen in our working in our working lives. Um, in terms of being holistic and not being, you know, a specific place. It feels like there's um a shortage of materials and various different parts, but there's also a big logistics problem. You know, we hear about um boats backed up in uh at LA uh, port, like 50 boats out in the in the bay waiting to come in and they're them taking almost as long to get unloaded and on trucks as they take to get from from China to California. So there's a big, big challenge there. Do you see this, those two elements, the amount of supply and the logistics being fixed sometime, sometime in 2022?
1: Yeah, I think the logistics will be fixed maybe before the supply. Um, Right now, are, you know I live in Southern California, so my wife and I like to take our electric bikes and ride them along the shore. Mm-hmm. And if we go to San Pedro or, or uh, uh, near the port of LA, we can see, just as far as the eye can see, uh, mm-hmm. almost to the horizon, we can see ships just at anchor. Uh, and, and our local government has um, addressed that, not in a manner that will fix the problem, but there was a knock-on problem, and that was all these ships that are still running their engines, you know, w- when they're anchored so they could stay under power and run the generators and everything they need to run, um, were causing even more air pollution than Southern California is known for uh, mm. in the port cities. So now what they're doing is they're telling them to uh, anchor, uh, you know, 100 miles off the coast, and we'll let you know when it's your turn to come close to the coast. So you yeah. don't see as many ships out there right now. Because uh, they're either they're traveling out. at half yeah. steam power or, you know, whatever. But uh, but they're not getting close to shore now, uh, which makes the problem look better. But yeah. But if you got um, you know a drone that could fly a hundred miles out over the ocean, you'd see the problem. It's just further you'd out. You'd see them. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. I one of the one of the most interesting conversations I had in I think either November or December was with. Um, Supply chain, Chief Supply Chain Officer of uh, Flex, Lynn Terrell, and with Don Ackery of TTI, and Don said, "Barely a day passes where someone doesn't call him up and said, and ask him if he can get a helicopter out to their boat to get their container off." And it's like, really, you're genuinely asking me that question? Yeah. Um,
1: so yeah, nice try. Yeah, when, um, well, yeah. Well, I, think, know, I, th- I think this is a lesson. It, it. Yeah. I think for decades into the future, we're going to be looking back at this time. And armchair quarterbacking all the Ooh. decisions that were made, and I think the decisions were all made in good faith. We didn't know what we didn't know, uh, we were yeah. dealing with uh, a quickly unfolding set of facts. Mm. Uh, and I, it, it apparently the decision to shut down industry throughout the world, um, while again well intentioned, had consequences nobody could foresee yeah. because we've never shut down. An entire world's industry before we've had mm. regional shutdowns you know when the earthquake and subsequent tsunami hit japan that created mm-hmm. a small ripple effect uh, that affected many manufacturers but um, we haven't we haven't turned the switch off worldwide before and it turns out it's not so easy to turn back on mm. and i liken it to 10 people in a circle each one manufactures something they all look at each other they're standing in a circle and they all say okay phil mike Bob, hmm. Jane, we're gonna we're gonna start manufacturing again. Great. Okay, Phil, I need this from you. So I could so start. Turn. Yeah. And you need something from someone else, and they need something from someone else. And and they you just can't go. It's hmm. kind of like starting up a nuclear reactor. You don't, don't throw all the rods in and yeah. you know, turn on the, the, the steam generators. You they have to go in sequentially at a certain speed. Yeah. It's a very delicate yeah. process. And I think that is much simpler than turning on an economy. And it turns out, I think if we ever run into this pandemic situation again, which we will, because history repeats, Mm. um, the idea of turning off the economy needs to be thought a little bit more carefully. Now that we know it just doesn't turn back on, even though everyone wants it to and is ready to, it just doesn't. Uh, there's, yeah, it, it turns out it's very complex, and
0: yeah, yeah. And, and there's a are. process to go to. There's a process to go through, and that's the the process we're going through now. And as you say, that has all kinds of knock on effects for companies. And you know, you're you're um, in that nice position of having an established business that's been been around a few years and has uh, hopefully accumulated a little bit of cash in the bank, so you can deal with this. But for some businesses, it's really challenging, and particularly for um, EMS companies, particularly the the smaller and medium-sized EMS companies, they're just sucking in cash at the moment. And that's that's a challenge. And I think that's feeding what we're seeing in terms of industry consolidation at the moment. There are some, there are some opportunist MAs, there are some people that are just chasing scale, there are people that are looking at different supply chains region for region. And I wonder if some of that is learnings that we will have from this you know will we move to a world of maybe shorter supply chains where they're where they're a little bit more independent and a little bit more just in case than just in time and we're not constantly chasing low cost labor around the world do you feel we can learn something positive or do you feel it's like many of these things we we talk about that and then a year down the line we're back to bad habits
1: well i hope for the former, mm. I fear for the latter. I think in so many different examples from terrorist attacks and security to pandemics, uh, I, I think we, we go back to the point of least resistance. And mm. you know, all of this stems from, in one way or another, I think it all germinates from our chasing the dollar uh, for profit. Mm. And I think we really need to think about where things are built you know, I'm a huge believer, we're a manufacturing company, and, and our official policy is to buy parts in the city that we build them. And if we can't buy them in yeah. the city, we'll buy them in our state. If we can't buy them in right. our state, we'll buy them in our country. In and if country. we can't buy them in our country, we'll buy them from someone in our country that goes to another country to get it, right? Yeah. That's that's our, our official policy. And because I'm a big believer in in buy where you live, build where you buy, and- yeah. Um, and that means you have to come up with other ways to sharpen mm. the pencil, but I think it starts with the consumer. I don't blame businesses because businesses just respond, you know, yeah. it's life imitate art, art imitates life. I think it's businesses respond to their customers' needs. And yeah. if customers are demanding, um, 70 inch, uh, led QLED television sets for $185, um, you're going to go to the ends of the earth to, to, to get it made. And, yeah, and uh, which is fine for some, you know, consumer stuff. But uh, I think that philosophy has, has fallen on pretty much every product now. And, mm. and we really have to think what, what is price? You know, you have to throw value, you have to throw security, you have yeah. to throw reliability, you have to throw, uh, secure uh, all these things into yeah. the, the the factor, not just the component costs. Yeah. Right? And, yeah.
0: And I think it goes beyond that, Mike. I think it goes to even think, well, not even things, but things like sustainability have to come in there. And, you know, that's impacted massively by the length of the supply chain. I see a generation that's much more concerned about environment. They're much co- more concerned about fairness. The whole ESG thing is becoming Um, increasingly important. And that has to be considered as well. And perhaps we've just got into some very bad habits of going to Costco and buying, you know, a microwave oven for $49 and not wondering how how in the world that can possibly be manufactured, boxed up and delivered to you at that price. And um, yeah, I think, you know, we need to, there needs to be a change in that, whether there will be or not, I don't know. And like you, I fear, I fear the latter.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, you hear all these terms right now of reshoring and nearshoring and things like mm. that. And, um, some commitments made to build semiconductor foundries, uh, like in the U S for example, and yeah. Texas, um, of course, they're not being built by U S companies they are being built by, no, they're by other companies. Right. But, um, I, I think those, that mindset will, will uh, wane as things yeah. get a little easier. And then we'll just find ourselves, you know, with the old adage, we learn from history as we don't learn from history. Yeah. And uh, and it'll repeat itself. That's my fear. Um, yeah. We can only do what we can do. We're one company yeah. and we're not yeah. unique. We're not, you know, there are other companies that think like we do. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're not the, they're not the low price leader. That's yeah. someone else's job. And yeah. they'll always be yeah. a low price
0: leader. Yeah. I kind of hope there's a younger generation coming through that are, smarter than us and are much more stakeholder driven rather than shareholder driven and 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 hoping that will improve things. I wanted to turn to one of the other things you mentioned in your piece. Uh, and that was your belief that in 2022 we'll return to mostly live events. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, even just in the couple of weeks since you sent me the submission, things have changed. You got COVID, for example, and yep. Hundreds of thousands of other people did, and we're seeing, you know, a growth in this um, current Omicron uh, strain, which is impacting travel. I was certainly planning to go to Apex. I feel that's less likely now than it was um, two or three weeks ago. How are you feeling about trade shows?
1: Well, I have a very unique view of trade shows that, that kind of formed itself before the pandemic. Hmm. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of trade shows. I'm a supporter of face-to-face meetings. Mm. I'm not a supporter of trade shows at any cost. And I, I think trade shows are one tool in the tool chest mm. uh, for a mar- from a marketing standpoint. Um, my company stopped exhibiting at trade shows seven, eight years ago, uh, yeah. you know, well before all this nonsense that we're in, in now. Mm. Uh, but we did because we were, I was under the impression that we were just producing a lot of noise. And um, every year we had to produce more noise and we certainly had to produce more noise than our competitors' noise level. And at some point we switched over to an education model, rather than a traditional advertising and and, um, trade show model. And I still go to a lot of shows. We don't exhibit at them, but we speak at them. We support Mm -hmm. the technical conferences heavily. We do a lot of speaking and write a lot of papers. But I'm, I'm a believer that educated customers make educated choices. And it's hard to educate when you have 30 seconds on a show floor where you're scanning the person's badge before they run off distracted at something else. Yeah. And, um, and you know, the idea of selling, we have a unique view of what sales is. Sales is not banging the drum and creating a bunch of noise and, you know, look at the shiny object in the, in the corner. That's us. Yeah. Um, it used to be, we were, we were Kings of that. You know, we had yeah. waterfalls, 15 you feet high, 30 feet levels. wide. You know, we had every year we had to top ourselves. We were competing yeah. with ourselves. And at one point, several years ago, I think the last year we did a big show. Um, we had that giant waterfall that would drop images and, and uh, words mm. as it fell. And someone came up and asked permission to take a picture. I'm like, of course, you can take a picture, uh, and then they asked if we could move our equipment out of the way, so they can get a better view of the display. And it just hit me. Yeah, that was a eureka moment. Yeah, that was a definitely light bulb eureka moment. Yeah, like a WTH, WTF, all that, all about those acronyms. Like, what are we doing? Uh, so you know, we we decided to kind of cold turkey it. You know, like like an alcoholic would just you mm. know give up drinking and join AA. We did our version of AA. Um, uh, alternate advertising, maybe uh, yeah. stick with the AA acronym. And and we decided to just kind of back off, let, let everything cool, watch our sales, see what would result from it. And mm-hmm. um, kind of to my suspicion and surprise, um, nothing, you know, the sky didn't fall um, yeah. because we replaced it with something else. You know, yeah. we're constantly staring into a camera or standing in front of a lectern, you know, we do that regularly, as you know, and we replaced the the noise with education and educational podcasts and educational webinars and educational efforts and papers and symposiums and things like that. So we're still out there. Um, Mm, It's still marketing. It's just marketing that benefits more than us. It benefits the person who's being marketed to. Yeah. And I don't know if, walking past a trade show booth is, you know, other than getting maybe a free cup of coffee, or if you're in Germany, yeah. you know, a sign of beer, I don't know yeah. how much benefit the attendee gets. Um, yeah. And then yeah. a lot of people said, well, you can't not do shows because if you don't do shows, your sales will go away. I said, well, you know, apex is three days a year. There's 362 yeah. other days a year. What happens in July? Yeah. If someone wants our product, they find it, you know, they, yeah, we're not hard to find. No one's hard to no. find these days. No, absolutely so, not. So I, I, I like the educational model. I like. Um, yeah. You
0: know, well, I think it's, it's a great. We,
1: most of the time we speak, we're not even speaking about what we do. Yeah. It's
0: <laughs> you know, like speaking about, about what needs to be done, what's going on. in About the industry, reliability the and are. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like it, today, we haven't mentioned your product, and you know, you and I have spoken on camera probably three or four times in the last the last year, we pretty much never talk about your product, but we talk about the industry, we talk about what's going on, we talk right. about what's important. Um so I think that's key. You've done a great job, you know, I, I would say to anybody if they're looking to re- replace trade shows, and some of them have had to do that and had to stand up replacements in the year, I would say, look at what Mike Conrad's done. Um, and some well, of them have done that like very that. successfully.
1: Yeah, but I want to be real careful. Not I'm not suggesting people don't exhibit. Animations. No, no, no. I, I think if you're a new company, it's a, uh, with yeah. a new product, particularly, you need, that's just a rite of passage, you need yeah. to do your booth duty. And you need to do yeah. that. I think yeah. that, you know, our company just turned 30 years old, a few days ago. And, um, you know, people know who we are, we don't yeah. need to be the drum and, and technology's changed the internet yeah. was a game changer it was a yeah. leveler everybody from the smallest startup to the most yeah. uh, experienced legacy company has the same footing now they have the yeah. same level of visibility or, or potential yeah. visibility and yeah and i and i'm still a huge proponent of conferences you know we, yeah. i've done a lot of technical conferences virtually over the last yeah. two years uh and they're a a, a decent second to yeah. a live conference, but you, you miss some of the nuances. But, yeah, um, but I think conferences will continue in a virtual format. At yeah. least it's an option way more than they did before.
0: Yeah, um, I think and, in the hybrid format, and I yeah. think that idea of hybrid marketing—you know, you've, you'll go to people will go to a number of trade shows, but they won't rely on trade shows as their only as their only source of leads. You know, when exactly. we looked at last year. Um, The big challenge in 2020 was the loss of Electronica at the end of the year for the EMS companies. I talked to EMS companies that had 90% of their budget spent in four days biannually. Um, And that, that meant losing the trade show was a big challenge to them. But they quickly found out that there were other ways to get thought leadership content out, other ways to interact with their existing customers, um, you know, and, and other ways to interact with the media to generate leads. So <clears throat> I think as we look forward, people will have learned from that and will look to hopefully a hybrid model that that adds the most value. And I think the trade associations and the event organizers that have respected that have done the best from that. So, you know, companies that stood up really good content during the, Um, during the height of the pandemic, where there was no chance of a live meeting, did very, very well. You know, I look at what South by Southwest have done. I look at what CES did. um, And, you know, having that hybrid model where there's content on stage, there's content on air, and there's content on demand afterwards, I think is really valuable. And some people embrace that really well at Productronica as well. So I kind of see that mixture as being the future.
1: Yeah, as do I, I think that, that virtual genies out of the bottle, mm. uh, more people are familiar or at least more comfortable with the concept. Yeah. Not everyone does it well, but the opportunity to do it well, is there. And, yeah. and, uh, I think it'll be with us forever now. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of companies increase their bottom line What what they may have lost in production. They certainly gained in travel savings and, yeah. and yeah. Um, marketing budgets and things like that. Yeah. And yeah you know, that's, that's why I love your company. Uh, Not to be a mutual admiration society thing. But, um, you know, you, you're one of the few. um, There are some others, but but you and a few others, really put out technical information and news of what's really going on, Mm -hmm. not just regurgitated press releases, you know, our machines are now blue, they used to be green, (laughs) you know, run the release. Um, I, I think these days, Everything has changed, particularly now. Everything's changing at light speed, and yeah. you can't wait for the next issue, you know, next month's issue mm. uh, to to write about it because by the time right. you write about it, it's three generations it's changed again. Right. Yeah. So right. I, I think um, you know your video content and your, your writing uh, is spot on, and I think it it serves our industry in different ways, and it provides yeah. marketing opportunities for manufacturers to use yeah. companies like yourself to to get the word out. Um, just less, um, you know. You and a few others do it way less salesy than other companies do. And yeah, because people aren't out to be sold to; they're out to be educated. And- yeah, yeah, and
0: informed. And, and I informed. think that's the key. Yeah, one of my favorites that I was listening to throughout the the throughout December was Eric Miskell's, um trip to Europe. is EMS now on top. Yeah, two characters chatting you know in the hotels in the evening as they as they toured around factories in Europe and I just found it so insightful so educational and so easy to consume which I think is the key and when I look at what I do it's it's the access to executives like yourself that really create the value in that content you know these what's the scoop pieces typically get 25 to 30 responses from CEOs of large EMS companies down to, you know, small startups or companies that have been in the industry and people like yourself that have been watching the industry change and evolve over the years. So I'm, you know, able to bring that insight to a, a broader audience. And I really, you know, I really appreciate that. As you, as you said, in wrapping up your piece, may you live in interesting times, we indeed do. It's indeed <laughs> been an interesting conversation. Mike, thanks so much for your time. I'm sorry I won't see you probably at Apex, but we'll catch up as soon as we can. Thank well, I you. I wouldn't
1: recognize you with your mask on anyway. We won't recognize each other. This is going to be interesting. So
0: It's going to be a strange one. I'll talk to you after. All right. Sounds good.